bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your way. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Well, today's guest is known by a number, just two digits, and you'll meet him next here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I said, stated in the opening, I'm uh, today's guest is known for a number, and but he's also known for longevity, wins, championships, uh, high graduation rates, and everything that comes along with uh, Golden Gopher baseball. Today's guest is John Anderson. How you doing, fourteen? Doing good. To be. Good to be with you. Yeah. Um. Well, my first question, and it's on a lot of people's mind, is how is your golf game this summer? <laughs> my golf game, JB, it's erratic. <laughs> Some days you got to figure out. Um, anyway, but uh, it's a humbling game, game I enjoy but have not mastered. Right. Maybe, maybe in re- retirement I'll figure out how to master it better than I have. Our, our, and the second part to that question is, is Billy taking money out of your pocket this summer or are you taking money out of his? Uh, he's taking it out of mine. <laughs> uh, the few times I take out of his, it's uh, going right back. So he's leading in that category. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Billy we're speaking about is Billy Soul, the uh, – president of the dugout club for the uh, Golden Gopher baseball program. Well, uh, we sp- uh, spoke about longevity and whatnot. Um, when I have guests on, I always let them talk about their origin story. 
yours started small town Minnesota and led to where you're at now. So if you want to talk about, take a few minutes to talk about that. Sure. That'd be great. Well, JB, I grew up in northern Minnesota up on the Aaron Range. Uh, I'm a 218er, a ranger by heart and uh, still claim to be and, and uh, still love going back to our family uh, lake home. Uh, that we've had for 60 years uh, up there. It's uh, kind of my sanctuary getaway. So that's where I grew up and at a time when the mining industry was was prospering and economy was strong and, and the area was uh, vibrant. Um, it's changed, obviously, because of the roller coaster ride. The, the mining industry has been in our economy, but uh, since probably the early 80s, it's been hot and cold. But um, was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, went to a small high school, Nashville, Kewatin, two mining towns that consolidated their their schools in 1963. And so, and, and uh, uh, we lived in a couple of mining location homes um, um, the, uh, in both towns. And uh, my dad was instrumental in when they formed the the current uh, mining and iron ore mining industry up and out the taconite industry. He was uh, a part of that uh, uh, when they built the the plants and started uh, the new processing. He was a big part of that, and then managed and ran those. So I was uh, always connected to the, uh, as I call it, the hard hat lunch pail uh, guys um, that uh, went to work and uh, uh, put their lunch, brought their lunch pail on their hard hat, and and then the work ethic I, it was very very strong uh, back then, and it always had an impact on me um, as I grew up. But uh, from there, I grew up, and uh, obviously anybody that uh, played sports and played baseball wanted to play for Dick Siebert at the University of Minnesota and they won national championships in 56, 60 and 64 and I had a player went for me high school Bob Balf that uh, was recruited by the chief and uh, actually chief traveled around the state and put on clinics and towns and actually in school and, and uh, or summer junior year uh, Bob Balf out of that uh at clinic and uh, so that even got me connected in a closer way and so I went to junior college community I was a grad school hockey I wanted to try to play organized hockey and went to Hibbing Community College for one year played football hockey and baseball and loved my hockey experience we had a really good team we finished second in the nation lost to a team out of Canton New York a group of Canadian guys that were much older much more experienced in uh, the national championship game but it's a great ride and loved it, and and uh, uh, was my uh, opportunity to play organized hockey. So from there, I the next year came to the university as a walk-on in baseball, and uh, at a time uh, obviously when the talent level was extremely high, and uh, the hopes and dreams that I would be able to, to play at the university, and that didn't come true. I had an arm injury my first year in the program, and, and that set me back even further. And uh, from there, I. Decided to, uh, rather than leave, I thought about actually transferring and playing uh, two or three hockey someplace. Um, but then the chief talked me into staying. In a team nope. I'm uh, losing you. Are you? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you're good now. Okay. So I was in the, the chief's baseball class and uh, got the highest grade ever in his test. And he said, why don't you stay and help me? And then he 
wasn't able to do a lot of the physical stuff. So him and George Thomas, his assistant, talked me into staying and, and being a student coach, student manager. And that's uh, really how my career started at the university. And, and uh, then after I graduated, uh, I was back home. Uh, there was no teaching jobs in 1977, 78 to be found around the country. Um, There's no hiring. And so I actually, uh, in, the, in the fall of, uh, what was it, uh, 77, after I, gra- I graduated uh, and decided, well, I'm sorry, it was 78. Um, uh, 78, uh, that summer, I was working in the mines, um, making some money, was going to stay and, and continue to work there. And uh, the chief called and wanted me to come back and, and start graduate school and be a graduate assistant and help them out and, and uh, for uh, not much money. And I really wasn't interested in graduate school, but he convinced me. I to meet with him, and when I did that, um, I knew he would talk me into it. I'd get the feedback, and I did. I went home and told my parents, and my dad said, what the hell is this thing about baseball? Are you going to make any money doing that? You can work here in the mines and make some money until you right. can find Oh, lost you again. I'm, I'm uh, going to hang up and try to call you back. Okay. All right. Stevie? Yep, I got you. I moved, I moved too, so let's see. Okay. It's our home too, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, modern technology gives us yeah. a lot of convenience, but it gives us a lot of headaches too. Yeah. Um, as I told Michelle Tafoya as she drove her son to baseball practice when I interviewed her, uh, life is part of this podcast, so interruptions don't bother me at all. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's, uh, it's, there's interruptions in life too, so right. deal with them. Yeah. Well, I, nobody, nobody had learned that better from than you when I was your, um, not only as a student worker in Beerman, but also as a full-timer in the Beerman equipment room. So, you know, it's always uh, pivot and go, to the, go whatever direction you need to go to uh, complete your journey. To handle adversity and and uh you know uh, there's a saying you know you gotta like it the way it is sometimes and uh try to find a way to even in the difficult times to like it embrace it and uh, try to find your way out and, uh, and try to make it better and uh you know i think uh, our sport of baseball really teaches us that because it's a game of failure and of opportunities to to learn how to to, to manage your experience and and uh handle failure and adversity and uh, uh, be able to bounce back from a bad at bat or, you know, uh, a bad inning or a bad pitch or whatever it might be, a bad defensive play and and how quickly you can and refocus and, and get your confidence level back where it needs to be and, and, and trust yourself is, is, is really a big process of playing the game. Of Got 20, about 20 seconds in between pitches to – Try to write yourself, and uh, sounds easy, but uh, it's not, and it's a learned skill that people work on, and how that little voice, that inner voice that we all have, and how that talks to us, and, and how that uh, interferes with our, our, our experiences is really critical to, to manage that inner voice as well, especially during adversity, so it's, uh, it's that's what I've always loved about the game. It's a really, really interesting uh, human performance dynamic uh, that people go through, and especially in our game where um, I think uh, you're, it's you against the baseball 
whether it's uh, you throwing the baseball to home plate and trying to get the hitter out or the hitter trying to hit the baseball or the infielder trying to catch the baseball. It's just you against the baseball. And, yeah, you have teammates and people that uh, play the game with you, but you're out there on your, on your own little island and it's you against the baseball. And uh, sometimes failure and adversity and our, our, our ego gets uh, harmed uh, because of what happens and that can send you down a spiral and, and uh, in a different direction that's not going to uh, really uh, help you perform considering at a high level. So it's a fascinating process. Yeah, that's true. That happened to me at the age of 59 last uh, Sunday. Uh, a high, towering foul ball over the first base, you know, outside the base uh, first baseline, and the ball won. And the next pitch, a ground ball to... Um, to the shortstop and he threw it to me and I thought it was going over my head I sudden took a dip and hit the palm base palm of my glove and I uh, made two errors and uh, less in two pitches and a run scored so yeah I was uh fill, trying to find that hole <laughs> trying to find that hole to uh run into but uh I hung in there and caught the last out for that inning and we're, you know, yeah, we're, so it's just that ability to regroup and, uh, you know, um, stuff happens. You're going to make errors. You're going to make mistakes. We're not robots. You know, we're humans, and it always doesn't uh, happen the way we want it to. It's part of our game. And and uh, so that ability to, like you said, to bounce back and, and get the next one is, is really critical. And as you said, sometimes it can be two or three misfortunes in a row. But uh, you got to hang in there and because the next one might decide the outcome of the game if you can make the play so it's uh it's an interesting dynamic well i want my listeners to understand from the time you were eight uh 18 19 till you were 26 you were on a journey to be- becoming the head coach at the university of minnesota he became the head coach at university of minnesota when was that 1982 83 all of 81 actually 81 on the 16th just uh, two days ago i had my official anniversary date of uh, 40 years when i signed up uh to be the head coach um so yeah it was just a couple of days ago was the, my 40th uh years and uh, this season coming up will be 41 for me um and uh you know i've been connected to the program since the fall of 1974 40 what some seven years ago yeah. um and been uh, going to the same campus and at least the same location of the field and and uh living in that space for the for that long is uh uh, it's hard to sometimes it's hard for me to get my arms around where the time has gone number one but to uh, be at the same institution the university of minnesota for for that long and to be connected to a, a program that has tremendous history and tradition has, has been a blessing and something i'm uh, very very grateful for and and uh, uh the opportunity was not something i planned to do you don't wake up and say i'm going to go to college and be the baseball coach at the university of minnesota I, that happened in a very unique way and uh, was never something that I thought that I would be doing. Um, and, uh, and, and actually in 1981 in the summer, I was going to leave coaching cause I was part-time assistant to George Thomas after mm-hmm. Dick Siebert died in 1978, December, George Thomas was assistant, became head coach and he asked me to be the assistant, but we were both part-time and had jobs outside the university and, was very very difficult to do it all um 
And after three years of that, George decided, I'm not doing this anymore, and decided to leave. And I had told him that summer I was leaving because I had an outside job with Emory Air Fleet, and they offered me a national sales job. And, and they told me I had to decide between one or the other, and the other one paid the bills. Right. Um, so I was actually leaving, and uh, George calls me in the summer of 81 and says, I'm done. I recommended you to Paul Keel how to be the head coach. And I said, oh, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. So I guess we'll both be leaving. And then Paul had called me and offered me the job. And and uh, that was uh, that was a humbling experience and a very scary one, to be honest with you, JB. Uh, 26, no head coaching experience. Um, but as I've told people many times, it's not too far from the truth. I was available and cheap. So uh, and that's <laughs> yeah. where we were at that time. Paul, you know, Paul, we didn't have the money they have today from the Big Ten TV network and trying to run a full sports program. And he ran around the state every night speaking for nickels, dimes, and quarters and trying to make it work. And uh, so I didn't have a full-time assistant of any sorts. It was just me. I had uh, some guys that were finishing their degrees um, that would come and, and, and you know help out as a, with a small stipend. Uh, I had uh, Herb Isaacson, a uh, long-time 30-plus-year mm-hmm. volunteer that was with me all those years. Um, that uh, I couldn't have done it without uh, having Ike there. And uh, so that was, uh, that, that was the beginning. And, uh, and uh, so it was, a, it was a little scary. I didn't want to be responsible for screwing up the history and tradition. And, you know, we were not far removed from a trip to the World Series in 1977. And, right. And, uh, you know, uh, all I could uh, sometimes think about is I don't want to be the one responsible for, for taking this history and tradition down. So that probably was my big motivation. Um, and then I was part-time until 82, 83, 84, 85. And then finally I went to Paul Gill and said, I can't do this anymore. It's impacting our recruiting. National recruiting was starting to happen. Um, and I said, if it's not going to be full-time, I can, I'm not going to be responsible for the program going down. So either I'm going to be full-time and get an assistant coach or I'm going to, I'm going to move on. And so he agreed. And, uh, so my salary went from $13,000 to $25,000 back in 1985. And then I was able to hire, uh, Rob Fornasier from Normandale Community College, mm-hmm. um, who was with me, um, all these years, um, as well, um, my 30, I think Rob was with me when I'm 33. Right. Yeah, 33, I had 33 years, I think. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, I talked to Rob and coming over for, you know, I think he got $15,000. And so um, and that's when we had to figure out a way to make some extra money. And we started our camp business and tried to find ways to supplement our income so we could continue to do what we'd love to do. And that's coach baseball at the University of Minnesota. So, and uh, having Rob, uh, uh, as my assistant for all those years, uh, I think uh, has a lot to do with uh, some of the successes we had as well. Um, I'm going to ask you um, qu- uh, this question. Where is the uh, sport or game of college baseball at these at this time, present time? Well, I think right now, JB, the game's at probably its height in terms of its popularity. The talent level in the game is, is probably at its highest, in my opinion. And I think the pandemic last year really, and with only five rounds of the draft in 2020, another year of eligibility, the, the number of players that were 23 and 24 that played college baseball last year 
that normally would have been in a normal 40-round draft and mm-hmm. uh, Major League Baseball dropping 42 minor league teams, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of old talent, experienced talent, great talent in the game last year. And it was in our conference, I don't think our, our talent level was ever higher last year than, than what I saw for the teams that, you know, some teams brought back 10 guys that were fifth and sixth year seniors. And um, some would have been playing in uh, a ball or double a ball at that point in time. And um, so the teams that really had the old teams in 2020, when the, when the pandemic struck uh, and all those guys that came back and, um, and I think uh, you saw a talent level that we haven't seen before. And I think that trend is going to continue here because the draft has been shortened. Mm-hmm. Those opportunities are gone. There's going to be less junior signing. So you're going to have a more senior experienced, talented players playing in college baseball than we've ever seen before. And less high school players are going to get taken um, and sign out of high school. And so I'm talent college historically and and you look at the stadiums that have been built in our game i mean you got people building stadiums for 85 million dollars uh, across uh, the stc and the southern part of the country and and the investment in the game today we have i read a stat a few years ago that blew me away that there were eight college division one coaches in baseball making more than 10 major league managers wow yeah <laughs> That blew me away. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of where the game is at and the investments some schools have made in the game uh, financially. Uh, and the College World Series, obviously, is the, the second most uh, profitable championship. Uh, mm-hmm. Football is not in the NCAA championship model behind men's basketball. So, um, you know, and they built the stadium in Omaha when I was on the NCAA baseball committee. We ended Rosenblatt, and I was part of the opening of the new one. And I, when I was sitting there listening, we're going to build a $128 million stadium to play two weeks of baseball. Really? So that gives you an idea of, of, of what's going on in our game and the growth. The challenge going forward is trying to have competitive equity across the country when you've seen it in probably mm-hmm. football with the Power Five and where you're going to see people just separate themselves. Uh, and you'll have, you know, 50 schools maybe that are going to be invested in a significant way and are going to separate themselves from the rest. You're seeing it some in terms of the College World Series each year. You know, it seems like there's always four SEC teams in there. Um, there's there's a separation happening, and I'm not sure that's going to be good for our game and healthy for our game. And the weather is the big driver behind that. Um, schools that have better weather can build better facilities, can draw more people, um, and uh, generate more income. And uh, that's a separator right now. And if we don't find a way to try to level the playing field, I think you're going to see a, a big separation. You might see someday where you're going to have two levels of division one baseball. You want to play in this league. Here's when we're going to play and here's what the investment's going to be. Or otherwise there's going to be another league and we're going to play in the summertime when there's better weather. And we're going to play with these schools. You'll probably have two championships. Um, Cause I just don't see how you're going to be able to, for everybody to keep up here and, a national level with what's going on right now and, and the advantages that they have had and with national recruiting now showcases and, and people being recruited in the country um you know it's 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 becoming uh, difficult to, to compete in some cases for the best players even from your region of the country so it's it's really changed and it's forced us to expand our recruiting horizons as well 
and uh, we're not able just to recruit Minnesota kids anymore because we don't get all the best ones because they're being recruited by uh, the top, uh, you know, SEC schools, ACC schools, mm-hmm. uh, Sunbelt schools all the time. And, and uh, 18-year-olds are attracted to bricks and mortar and the weather and going to the College World Series and all those other things. So uh, that makes it uh, a little more challenging from the recruiting standpoint. So you got to try to find the guys that believe in our why and purpose and want to come to the University of Minnesota, some that want to stay closer to home. And, and, and you, you know, you got to find a kid that wants a balanced experience and wants to get a degree from a great public university. So um, we have to we have to go about it a little differently. We, we have to accept the fact we're not going to get them all. Uh, I'm just going to take a step back here, uh, John. Also, one of the things that is affecting uh, college baseball is the reduction of minor league teams in pro baseball. Uh, it was a year or so ago the, the major leagues decided to cut how many minor league teams or affiliations they would have. So I would assume that would have an effect on kids staying in college for another year. Yes, no question. Yeah, there's 42 less teams, and they eliminated them last year. And there were some really, really good players in our league this year that didn't get drafted. I was shocked. And uh, 20 rounds, you know, they're – they're older, they're 23, 22, two 24-year-olds, and, you know, there's no room for them. They don't, you know, the, the Zach, Zach Robbie um, got drafted this year, and, and um, you know, he went uh, into uh, the rural system, but he sat in the spring's training site most of the summer because they had no rosters to put to send them to. They had no openings. So the guys they drafted, they came, they just worked out and had inter-squad games together, and, and uh, Major League Baseball, professional baseball, didn't want to make cut some guys until later in the year, maybe till after the year. So you saw that. They didn't just get sent out to affiliates because there was no room, there's no roster space until they make some cuts. And the draft got moved to the uh, you know, third week in July. So, um, you know, the season's further along. And uh, it just looked like to me professional baseball wasn't really willing to make any cuts until after the season was over. And they're just going to keep these guys – spring training sites that there was an injury or something or a spot opened up and then they'd move somebody out of there. But, um, no question. Um, you're going to, you're going to see more and more juniors stay, not sign their junior year and stay in college. Either they won't get drafted or they'll get drafted in a round where, uh, there's no, there's not the money that makes it worthwhile to leave. So after the fifth round right now in the draft, it's, it's, there's very little money. Most of the money goes to the first, you know, five rounds. And after that, uh, there's a minimal amount of money. And uh, I think what they're going to do, they're going to take the cream of the crop, uh, the Max Myers of the world, and uh, they're going to let you keep the, the guys until through their senior year and you develop them. And we're going to have less teams. And they've realized that college baseball, Division One baseball, has done a tremendous job of developing players. And they've admitted you guys are doing a better job than we are. And uh, so we're going to take the cream of the crop. We're going to let about the rest and uh, keep them at your schools. And, and schools have made investments in the analytic equipment and high-speed video and all the things that they don't have to invest in the minor league systems because we have them. And, and uh, so they're saving money. They're letting the colleges develop the players. And, um, uh, and, and like I said, I, I think uh, you're going to see that system continue to shrink from an economic standpoint. Well, you just answered my next question, which was why, why would major leagues do that, give up that control? But that's a great Great answer, great understanding on why they would do it. I mean, it saves them money, and they would they they probably looked at uh, the way the NFL treats 
college football as their, you know, their development ground and said, hey, let's just keep them there. I mean, I've noticed that in pro hockey. You, you would you would notice kids would be the big the better players would play in Canada. Now they're starting to play in uh, college hockey because the colleges have put more into player development. Yeah, and that's that's where the expenses, you know, to, to put in the analytic systems they have in, in say, Target Field and all their minor league facilities is very, very expensive. And, um, and uh, so if the colleges are doing it and they have the equipment and we share data, everybody shares data, um, and uh, so why wouldn't we let them develop the players? And because uh, they're doing a good job, we don't, you know, it's less salaries you have to pay coaches, it's less facilities and stadiums and, and uh, you know, let the colleges do the strength training and nutrition piece of it and player development side of it. And as I said, they've done the research and study and they found that colleges are doing a better job developing players than we are. And um, uh, so let's let them do it. No different than, like you said, the football and basketball model for years. That's what they've done. They let the college develop the guys and take out the premium players and let the rest stay. And if after your senior year you become a premium player, then they'll take you. And at that time, you have no leverage, so they get you pretty cheap. Right. Um, before I ask you for the uh, the state of gopher baseball, uh, just to finish up on uh, college baseball as a whole, um, and I would um, be neglect being a, an African American. And not ask you this question: Where is the African American uh, in go and not not just go for baseball? I shouldn't state it that way, but in college baseball and major league baseball. Great question. I think it's a question we've looked at hard and studied and tried to find answers. And I think first and foremost, I, you know, we have two African American players on our team. Um, and if you look across college baseball, if you <clears throat> see a team that has maybe two to five, that's really a high percentage. And uh, I think first and foremost, uh, I think our game is, uh, unfortunately, uh, the showcases and the traveling baseball and the cost affiliated with that. If you have uh, people, not just African-Americans, but anybody that come from low economic uh, base families, they can't afford to do that. They can't afford to get in the showcase game and the traveling game and be seen. And that's where everybody's doing their recruiting today. And it's not going out and watch high school games anymore. And all the best players don't play Legion baseball anymore. Um, and so uh, I think there's an economic impact there that's affecting many. And and I think that's why you're going to see some interest in our game you know, go down. Because today it's cost some money if you want to uh, play baseball at the, you know, at the amateur low levels of, you know, uh, high school baseball, Legion baseball. And, and if you want to get into the, the traveling circuit and, and there's year round training now in these training facilities. And some of these kids are spending 10, 12, $15,000 a year in this, this whole training cycle from, from, from indoor and outdoor training to playing games and traveling around the country. And so there's a, there's an economic piece to it, I believe, um, that not everybody can afford and be a part of, and they get left behind in some cases, um, which is sad. Um, and uh, so I think that drives it. I think, second of all, it's, 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 it's a cost to play the sport. You know, I think in a sport like, you know, take uh, 
and, and take basketball, for example, the, the cost to play basketball is substantially less than it is to buy a bat and a glove and spikes and, and the cost of, of equipment today. You just, you know, it's not a sport that you can necessarily develop without being playing with other people and being on a team and being able to train with others and somebody to play catch with. So it, it involves, uh, you know, being a part of a team and, and, and having a field and a place to, to, to practice and, and develop your skill. Um, and in our part of the country, the climate doesn't allow outdoor year-round play, so mm-hmm. you're forced to find indoor space if you want to continue to develop. So I think it's a, it's a sport that's become, I would call it in some ways, a country club sport. I mean, where the, the economics and the, and the cost is, is risen substantially, and it's leaving some people behind. And uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's what it's come to. And and uh, so I, I think if in, in and you look at the scholarships, I think at, that, at the end of the day, that's the biggest driver. You know, football and right. basketball they have all full scholarships. They have more scholarships. We have the lowest ratio of scholarships to participants of any men's or women's NCAA sport in college baseball. But yet we're the second most profitable right. championship. And so and then you go around and, the, and, and, and kids look at uh, the, the, well, do I want to try to become a football or basketball player where I can get a full scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. These good athletes, right? Right. Um, I can play baseball, and they're going to come and offer me 25% uh, because you can have 27 on 8 on the 35-man roster and divide that in 11.7. Pretty quickly, you can figure out the average scholarship's about 30%. And so you start looking at that, and some people can't afford to, 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 to pay the difference to play college baseball. And so... And, and then the choice becomes, do you put yourself taking out student loans and substantial debt that's in, in almost entirely impossible to get out of as you, once you leave college uh, for a long period of time? So Tell me about it. Yeah. So I think there's an economic <laughs> impact here that is really forcing people out of the game that, and, and great athletes that aren't playing the game. And, and so I have a saying, I'm the three Ps, you got to find players that can play, pass, and pay. Mm-hmm. And the pay, pay is becoming bigger and bigger. And Anybody recruiting today, um, you go to them and say, okay, well, we're going to offer you 30% as a freshman. Really? I spent all this money. I spent ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year for the last four years to develop my kid and he gets a 30% scholarship. And, uh, you know, you could have put that money in the bank and made those kids probably right. would have been just as good or, or better if they'd have played high school and Legion ball where it cost them a heck of a lot more money. And uh, you put that money in the bank and saved it for their college education. So, and we've talked with professional baseball, Major League Baseball, about coming up with this uh, scholarship for minorities uh, and, and increasing our scholarship totals so we could recruit uh, more minorities and have more money to recruit minorities, make it specifically to bring more minorities into college baseball. And uh, they're willing to help fund that because um, they want more African-Americans and minor, minorities in their game. Um, and then you, then you get down to the, the making something happen, and then the gender equity model comes into play. Right. Say if you do it for baseball, you got to do it for softball, and blah blah blah. And so the thing gets all messed up because we get into these these arguments about equity and can't have more scholarships and your percentage of scholarships for male and females and all the other things that go on. And and uh, so it seems like it never never goes anywhere. But uh, I know we all recognize the challenge and the problem. We've all tried to look for ways to 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 uh, get more kids to play college baseball that are that are African Americans and minorities, and and uh, uh, those things get in the way, and we haven't been able to solve the problem, and and uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's really unfortunate, and uh, and I I 
if you have something like Major League Baseball that wants to help, you would think we'd find a way to do that. And uh, uh, But we haven't been able to. And that conversation has been going on for a long, long time, um, longer than it should have. And we still haven't come up with a way to do it. We have a, we have a young man uh, coming in uh, next year mm-hmm. um, out of Pennsylvania, but uh, that uh, can afford, to, that's an African-American that can afford to come here and and his family has a wherewithal uh, that they can make up the difference. And and uh, he goes to a private school out there. And, and so he comes from an entirely different economic situation where he can afford to, to, to pay the difference. And and uh, but, um, you know, you, there's there's not many of those around. And uh, but if you're a Vanderbilt, for example, that has right. a private school that has, you know, need based aid and academic aid, they can they can partner with. Uh, athletic aid and as long as it's available to all students um, um, then they can come up with a heck of a lot more money and I think you'll see more African Americans playing at those schools because they have more money that they can help those kids you know pay for college and uh, you'll see certain schools have more dollars available to help um, uh, minorities and African Americans and and those are the schools I think are going to be able to attract more of those kids into their program. Well the the other because you and Rob and I would have this discussion all the time in the dugouts. Uh, the other part to this is uh, kind of a social and maybe a little economic. Black athletes also maybe have the pressure to dig their family out of the uh, uh, economic issues they have. And the faster way to doing that is basketball and football. There's no basically no minor leagues. You know, right. they go. They, so they have to go. They have to go to college, right? Right. They want an opportunity. Yep. So they go. They play, and they go immediately. For the most part, if they are good enough, they go immediately to the uh, the major league of that sport. Whereas basketball, uh, whereas baseball, you can still toil in the, in the minors. The other part of that is just the introduction to the game. I mean, I was lucky. Myself, I went to bed every night in the summertime. My dad had Cardinal baseball playing, you know, through the house. So right. that fostered my my love for baseball. And in a lot of houses, there is no dad or an uncle to introduce that. And that's, uh, that's a piece that's missing. That's a great point, JB. I agree. Um, you got to be introduced to the game, you know, as, as a young person like you were. And if you don't get that introduction, you know, and uh, again, I think some people will say the game is boring. You know, it's hard to, some people don't, they want to watch a game that has more action and speed. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so in some cases that turns some people off, but I, that's, that's a great point. Um, you know, that, that, that first introduction where you develop that passion and love for the game and want to play the game uh, has to start someplace. And, and, and like you said, it, in many cases it starts in your home and uh, you know, and that's where my passion started. My dad played baseball when he grew up and, you know, he took me to twins games when, you know, I was five years old. I think I've been to a twins game ever since they came here in 1961. We'd come to a game or two every year. And so that's where my passion came from. I got introduced to the game. And of course we didn't have a lot of TV games back then when I was growing up, but I listened to a lot on the radio laying in bed in the summertime and, and, uh, listen to the twins on the radio and um, that, that was a passion that I developed because my, my 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 dad and mom exposed me to the game and, and, and that's where I got my passion and uh, so yeah you, you bring up a great point. 
Uh, before we move forward, uh, normally I have a commercial break here, but since I have somebody who uh, has witnessed my uh, work, and this break is uh, normally where I would play the spot for uh, jbsglovepair.com, which is my my other side business I started uh, during the pandemic. One was the podcast, and the other was the uh, baseball glove repair. And actually, uh, I do a lot of business with uh, softball associations and whatnot. But um, John firsthand saw me uh, at work, and I don't know if he wants to give a testimony or not. I hate to put him on the spot, but uh, it would be helpful. You're not putting on me on the spot, JB. You did a tremendous job repairing gloves and repaired a lot of them. And I think anybody that had their glove repaired by you would give you a tremendous uh, testimonial of your work and the quality of your work and things you were able to do to, to, to repair gloves and and, uh, and, and help uh, people hang on to a glove. In many cases, it's they love their glove and don't want to give it up. And uh, they want it repaired and want the laces re-strung and they, they they have a uh, you know it's it's, uh, it's superstition in some ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, people don't want to buy a new glove. They like the one they have. So they, to find somebody today that can do what you do in an exceptional way and repair a glove and, and and get it back to somebody where he can continue to use the one that he loves, that he feels confident with, um, is is, uh, is 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 a skill that doesn't exist a great deal anymore. And to have somebody like you that's interested in doing it and helping people maintain the, their gloves and the integrity of their gloves and so they can perform and play with them and, and keep them longer. Um, um, if you need your glove repaired, I, the first person I would call would be JB because um, I've seen his work firsthand and our players uh, was, uh, really appreciated his work and, and uh, we're grateful that uh, they could bring a glove in and JB could uh, relace it or, or, or fix a lace or, or restring it or whatever it, t- it took to get the glove back to uh, plain shape. So, I would give you a high testimonial and encourage anybody that needs glove repair to reach out to you. Well, there was a short story, and I'm forgetting Derek's last name. He was a All-American second baseman for us. Derek McCallum. McCallum. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Derek would never allow anybody to touch his glove or bat. He was very superstitious. Yeah. And he brought it in to me one day to have it tightened. And I looked at him, and he's like, what? And it's like, uh, you know I got to touch this to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, just take the glove, JB. And I was like, all right, just wanted to make sure you understood I had oh, to yeah. touch it. Yeah, so. I, I, I saw some real anger in his, his body language when he, somebody touched his glove. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let anybody pick it up. You know, after they could last out of the inning, right. pick up somebody's glove, no, no, no one could touch it. He had to come in and get it. And uh, that in his bat, right? And, yeah. Uh, I think he'd let the bat boy pick it up, but that's about as close as anybody else got to it. Nobody else could use it. And he always jumped over the first or third base line, whatever dugout we're in, never stepped on the line on his way to and from the field. So, yeah, you know, and uh, that's fine. You know, you can have your superstitions or things that make you feel better and put you in a state where you can perform. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, if he lets you uh, touch his glove and string it, then that would give you, I think, some high <laughs> praise and credibility because – I don't think there are very few that got to do what you did to his glove. Right. Well, and again, that's jbsgloverepair.com. Yes, I have an actual website. So, And I appreciate and I'm humbled by your testimony there, John. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, now we can move forward to this year's uh, uh, Gopher team. And uh, the way I want to lead 
into that is, is by asking you the, the hot topics that are going right now, and then you can move further into the depth of the team and whatnot. And that's name, image, and likeness, likeness and the transfer po- portal and how they may have affected your team or the, the sport of college baseball. Well, I think name, likeness, and image, I think it's going to have uh, different impacts in different parts of the country. We're in a pro sports market here. So um, you're in a major metropolitan area here. I think there's going to be less opportunities for our student athletes because of the marketplace we live in. And they'll be in a, a small college town uh, where there's maybe more opportunities because they're the only show in town. And um, so I think uh, that's going to have an impact. I think it just came on the scene so late this summer. Mm -hmm. I think it's getting started. You know, there's a few of our players that have, you know, uh, formed some kind of business. One player wrote a book and he wants to, you know, selling it, publishing it and using his name, likeness and image to promote his book. And we've had some people, you know, start some, uh, some people have a clothing line, for example, to try to do online and, so on and so forth, but I don't see now if if this was around when Max Meyer was here pitching, would there have been an opportunity for him potentially because I think he his future and and maybe a connection that he could have taken him with him into the professional marketplace possibly, somebody like that when you look at at baseball might have an opportunity but uh, I think for most of the players I think uh, there's not going to be significant dollars out there for them in the name likeness image thing unless they can come up with their their own concept or their own idea or their own product something that they can sell and then use their connection to the university go for baseball program to 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 enhance uh, the credibility of what they're doing sure but i don't think there's going to be a lot of businesses running out the same they're going to pay some of our guys to come out to the car dealership and sign autographs or whatever it might be i just i, I don't see that happening in this town um uh, yet anyway, and especially you have a lot of pro athletes you can connect to and and uh, in that marketplace as well. So it's going to be interesting to follow, but I don't think it's going to have a profound effect. I think are the kids going to spend more time trying to make money from the name like <laughs> right. this and image than they are going to school and playing baseball. <laughs> right. You worry about where that time is going to come from and, and as busy as they are currently. So as far as the transfer portal goes, oh boy, uh, that's uh, – that's an that's an interesting concept, and I think it got uh, uh, really really um, uh, messy this summer. Uh, first of all, you had the extra year of eligibility everybody got from the pandemic, so your baseball rosters were extremely crowded to begin with. The draft got reduced, right? Right. We talked about that, and then you had uh, last year we had unlimited roster sizes. This year it's forty. Next year we go to thirty-five, mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden you recruited, you know, ten or ten guys, for example, and uh, you expected to, these guys were going to be seniors and graduate and or sign and move on, and all of a sudden five-round draft, right? Right. Your eligibility. So there were twenty-two hundred Division One baseball players in the transfer portal. Holy. <laughs> so, so it's a waiver wire, basically, what right. it is, JB. And so you spend, you have one of my assistants, Pat Casey, spends every day searching through the transfer portal, seeing who's in there. And uh, you had to be in by July 1st. And if you went in and you would say, for example, you had some aid, you're on scholarship, the school, you could come back, but they didn't have to honor your aid. 
So if you went in there, um, you know, you, you could come back, but there were consequences. And uh, but what happened because everybody's rosters were crowded, we had to everybody, including myself, something I've never done in my career. We had to tell people with eligibility left that they had to leave because we had to choose mm-hmm. who we were going to keep. Because I have bosses, and I was told we got to be at a certain number, and we're not even at 40 this year. We're at 37. That's what we're allowed because of gender equity. Right. So um, we had to let some players go with eligibility. Had to make choices. It was hard. It was terrible. I've never done it in my career. No, you haven't. No, and, uh, no, I so, I witnessed that firsthand. You you yeah. never you never did that. Um, getting uh, getting back to uh, the transfer, uh, we're staying with the transfer. How much of that is parent driven, and uh, how much also is um, players just just making a bad decision coming out of high school? Great question. A uh, couple things there. First of all, the, the early recruiting, kids signing, they're making verbal commitments to schools when they're ninth and 10th graders. Mm-hmm. And uh, then all of a sudden, um, you know, they get to be juniors and seniors and they haven't developed in a way or they found somebody better. Okay. Right. And uh, all the kid up and he's signed his tender and thinking he's coming saying, oh, by the way, we don't have room for you. You know, we over-recruited or somebody didn't sign or this happened or that happened. And that's what's happened here with the extra year of eligibility and a limited draft uh, in 2020 and 2021. There's only 20 rounds. So that's what's going on here. And uh, that's why. So they have to honor their scholarship, but they tell them, well, you can come to school and honor your scholarship, but you won't be on the roster. You won't play baseball here. So if you want to play baseball, you got to go someplace else, right? So it's either the kid coming in who's a freshman or somebody on your roster, you're going to say, hey, we have to honor your scholarship, but you're not going to be on the roster. So if you want to play college baseball, continue to play college baseball, you got to go somewhere else. You need to get the transfer portal. And um, so that's how the game's played. And um, and uh, the transfer portal, again, is an out. The kids think it's an out for them, but once they get in there, and then this year in particular with that many kids in the portal and everybody – across college baseball with all these crowded rosters, mm-hmm. there's nowhere, there nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. And where you could go potentially, either you didn't want to go to school there or you didn't want to live there or you didn't want to play baseball there. And so um, we have two players that we had to let go on our last year's roster that didn't go anywhere else, and they're going to school at the University of Minnesota not playing baseball. And I feel terrible about it, but – what can we do? It wasn't something that we could control. We could control the pandemic, can't control the overcrowded rosters right. and, and gender equity rules and, and, and what you can have on your roster sizes and, and scholarships and all the other things. So um, that's that's what happened here. And so I think the transfer and the other part of the transfer portal I don't like. So say, for example, you're a freshman and you got recruited and, and very few freshmen could come in and play right away in Division mm-hmm. One baseball. So it takes time takes right. a year to do player development time. So all of a sudden, well, I don't get to play as a freshman, so I'm leaving. So you invest in this kid, you recruit this kid, you think someday you can make a pretty good player out of him, and he decides, well, if you're not going to play right now, parents say, well, let's go in the portal, let's go somewhere else. Or you try to discipline somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Try, to, try to modify or change their behavior, whether it's academically, socially, athletically, uh, whatever. It, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going to the portal. I'm getting out of here. Right. So we have less control today in terms of how we manage our team and the expectations and hold people accountable. 
because they have an out. And uh, they can transfer one time without penalty and play right away. And, and the other side of it is if you're a really good player, okay, and you go out and play in the Cape Cod League, for example, and a school of Florida State, we'll just use them as an example, they have a couple Florida State, State guys playing there and said, man, there's a really good shortstop from Minnesota playing out here. And we need a shortstop, and we want to go to the College World Series, so we got to get him on our team. So they convince this kid, hey, you got to come to Florida State. Well, they'll give me more scholarship money. Uh, they, they claim they're going to have a better team and go to the College World Series, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up and, and, and leave and, and go to Florida State, and I can do it. I can get in the portal. I can get aid, and I can go play at a different school where I want to play. And uh, you can do nothing about it. It's not a thing you can do about it. So prior to July 1, Somebody could call you up and say, hey, you've invested, let's say, two years in this kid, and he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he just picks up and leaves and uh, goes to the next place. And I think also what's going to happen, you're going to see some schools and programs, they're going to try to create a super team out of the tra- by right. using the transfer portal. They're just going to find trying to collect all the best players that are out there that are you know, sophomores, juniors, and try to and say, hey, we're going to create a super team. And we're going to win the national championship, and they're going to utilize the transfer portal to do it. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. And I worry about that uh, happening as well at some point in time here, as especially after we get out of the crowded pandemic rosters and there's more room for that. I don't doubt you're going to see some of that. We're, we've seen it in college football and basketball right. where the best players want to go play with the best players. Mm-hmm. And when you can transfer one town without penalty, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it's the NBA model. But yeah. the the other thing that you uh, see in college basketball, you're going right. to see in college basketball now too. You watch what's going to happen. And the last thing about this, JB, mm-hmm. less high school kids are going to get recruited, right? And offered scholarships because people are going to say, "Well, I'm not going to take a chance on a freshman. I'll wait, dig through the transfer portal, and find somebody that's more experienced that I got a better idea of what level of play they're at and how they can help our program than waiting two years for a freshman to develop." Right. More there's. The thing that people didn't understand when this was about and everybody, you know, I've listened to different outlets and everybody was patting each other on the back. The the commentators about, yeah, we're breaking down the NCAA. We're going to bust it and this, that and the other. What they didn't understand was there was going to be more kids than spots. So you were literally hurting kids by having them out there with no right. place or, or they're instead of being at a D1. They're at a D3, or they're uh, playing um, junior college ball, you know, and you're stunting their growth that way instead of right. being in a D1, or kids who just have no place to go, because right. there's going to be always be more kids than spots in in the way this is constructed. Yep, and the transfer portal is part of it, and of course the pandemic and the extra year of eligibility is added to it, and you have both forces at play right now at the same time. And uh, I, there's, you know, there's kids that even junior college are just loaded with players right now. Right. There's loaded with players right now. There's going to be some really good junior college baseball teams, I can tell you that. <laughs> Plus, they all got another year of eligibility there, so some of those guys can stay there three years mm-hmm. but they, and, and, and still go to college and play two years and transfer after three years. So you're going to see some really good junior college programs as well. They're just, you know, because there's no place for players to go. And um, that's that, that's the side of it, and so it's 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 it's, a, it's scary. So this year, in our sport, baseball, uh, I saw more coaches retire, or get out, yeah, 
because <laughs> the pandemic wore them down, mm-hmm. all the stuff with that. But then this whole trying to manage this transfer portal thing, trying to reduce your roster, get it back to where it has to be over a three-year period of time. There's some guys that just said, I, I can't do this anymore. Look at Roy Williams and, yeah. and, and he left. He just said, I'm, I'm not, how am I going to coach a basketball team and, and, and being able to discipline my guys and, 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 and be able to recruit a team when they can pick up and walk out the door anytime they want to and go play someplace else. And I believe that's why Mike Krzyzewski is leaving he at, at the yeah, end he, of this year. because he's going to try to get through this year, and uh, that's it. He's, he's not going to deal with it either. And, uh, and so that's, it's, 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 it's a crazy, crazy situation. And I don't think people understand all the negative ramifications of this. Yeah, I think in some cases it, it, it's good, but we had a waiver process before. So right. if you had a specific reason why you wanted to transfer and, and whether it was family related or whether it was academically related or whether it was, I just want an opportunity to play more. Correct. And there's no opportunity for me here. Or I can go to this school and get aid where I can't get aid here. You could do that. There was a process for that. Right. And uh, we didn't need to go this far down the road here. And we have right now, it just limits our control of our roster significantly. We don't have the control in our roster and who's going to be in our team year to year anymore because kids can walk out the door anytime they want. They could be your best player. Right. Well, and the other part that we uh, kind of started the discussion with uh, name, image, and likeness, uh, pe- the thing that people don't understand, because I've had a couple of friends pull me to the side and said, so how is the University of Minnesota dealing with paying athletes? The schools aren't paying the athletes. Right. Right. That, that's, that was the original concept at the beginning, and then it, this is where it turned to. So my question becomes, okay, say you're the best quarterback in America or the best pitcher in America, okay? Mm-hmm. So you get an alumni or somebody that owns a business to say, okay, I want you to pay this guy hundred grand a year, Okay come and sign autographs at your car dealership or whatever okay and uh and and so that goes into impacting who gets to who who recruits the best quarterback in america it's not just going to be the 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 school or the scholarship or the the talent level of the program it's going to be where can i get the best deal i think i read jb where there's a freshman quarterback at ohio state texas Mm -hmm. that's that's redshirting right that made some deal for like one million dollars for name likeness and image Mm mm-hmm I mean, so what about the offensive lineman that got a block, block for this for guy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always said. When when does the division in the locker room start? Yeah, you know, you know, you're making all the money, but we're blocking for you and making it happen, and we're not getting anything. John, not only did that, is that kid redshirting, he he foregoed his senior year in high school. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot that piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah how about that? Because he could make more money by leaving early. Right. Instead of hanging out with his family and having his senior year, which, which is a you know a very important year in your life, and uh, yeah. you know you finish your relationships with the people you grow up with and all the other social things that happen, he said poo poo all that over you know and a million dollars is a lot of money, but then you got to pay taxes on it and all that stuff, so it ain't a million dollars. But well, that's the, the other part that the kids are going to get educated on is they're going to have to be uh, record keeping. They're going to have to pay taxes, and mm-hmm. some of it's going to have to pay quarterly tax. I mean, they're going to they're going to need some financial help and accounting help just to, you know, to, to handle the tax ramifications of all this. So, but yeah, and to sit on the bench and play it, you know, and 
play at Ohio State, and who knows? He's playing behind a redshirt freshman. Right. <laughs> so if that guy that guy that's playing now turns out, what is he going to do? He's going to transfer. Right. So you're going to recruit a freshman quarterback, or you're going to wait and see who's in the transfer portal. Right. Right. So, interesting. Oh, well, let's move on to this year's Gopher Baseball. It was a tough season for you guys last year. COVID, I heard you was hit hard by the COVID bug last year. And um, how are things looking this uh, fall so far? Well, you're right, J.B. It was a difficult year. There were a lot of forces at play. It was never one thing. And, uh, you know, we after being shut down in March of 2020 and then the kids not really doing, having any player development time in the summer. And we came back in the fall and just had a short fall start of practice, which is, was only in small groups. And then we got shut down, sent everybody was remote learning and, and they all went home, uh, like in end of some went home earlier than others just decided that they didn't want to stay because of the pandemic and everybody went home early November and didn't come back till the middle of January. And then of course, where do you train and training facilities were closed. Where do you weight train? You know, all those different things. We're a player development program and, and our player development system and time is critical to the development of our players. And we had a young team in 2020 to begin with that really needed to play a full season and, and get some quality at bats and, and develop and grow and then play in the summer you know, we had Max Meyer in 2020, and, and we could have won some games on Friday and found a way maybe to win one, one of the next two on a weekend and, you know, put together a competitive year and get all these young players uh, the, the experience that they needed, and they didn't get it. And so mm-hmm. I, our team last year was really, you know, they, they were a year older, but really they were a year, year and a half behind in their player development time. And, and then no midweek games, and we, you know, you couldn't have team meetings, you couldn't eat together. Kids of remote learning. We had we had more injuries last year, and then kids come back. They're from practically doing nothing, and then you come back in the middle of January. You got to ramp up the play, and you put all these loads on these kids, and they break down. And we had more arm injuries and, and pitching issues than we've ever had. It was just so many forces at play, and and uh, once this, once the, the things started head the snowball started heading down the road down the hill it was really hard to stop and so um unfortunately that uh, there was there was plenty many forces at play and i feel for the kids that were juniors and seniors with the last three years of their careers and what it was like and uh, some of them had, could have come back this year and played they didn't want to be in school for six years they, they were done they, plus they have to pay for it right they more education they're on 30 percent of a scholarship and come back to school to, to play us in my sixth year to play another year of baseball that's a financial decision that many families can't 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 make and so so it's uh so we spent the, the time from the end of the 21 season here just trying to manage our roster i felt more like a general manager than a coach because we're trying to manage our roster trying to, to get our roster down to a point we want we wanted to improve the talent level in our roster um and we had to make some choices, and like I said, we're very difficult, and and so um, that's what we've really spent the summer doing every single day was trying to figure out what our roster was going to look like and who was going to be on it. And uh, so we've got 15 new faces in our program right now, uh, nine freshmen, six transfers, um, and uh, <clears throat> and we have a recruiting a returning group of guys that were able to play a little better. Uh, and it's just so far in the first couple of weeks of fall. 
we had a uh, it doesn't count scrimmage with Thomas last night and you know we we couldn't throw the ball over the plate last year we we walked and struck out 16 and pitching level was radically different than what I saw Um, you know and uh, I think we have a a position group of guys that were older that are going to be better Um, and the new pieces that we've had the nine freshmen, the six transfer, encouraged uh, by where we are now. And, um, I think we have a, a new roster. Uh, it's going to be a deeper roster with more talent and experience and feels more like it should feel like um, and go for baseball. So, um, we'll see going forward here. If we can stay healthy, that's always the, the big piece. And whether we don't get interrupted by the pandemic again and uh, get out of our normal player development cycle in the weight room and on the field and uh, all the things that go into and, and, and improving players uh, for the normal development between now and next February, I'm encouraged. I, I think I'm here to work with and have a competitive team based on my first glimpse. Well, that uh... – it sounds nice to hear that you're back out on the field and you're able to uh, get things going. Uh, do you have a couple of names that people should be looking out for? Yeah, well, I think Ireland, um, last year was a guy and then uh, heard his uh, in Iowa halfway through the year that we had to, to shut down to year. He's, he's going to be a premium on, on the mound, uh, no question about it. Uh, Andrew, uh, senior, um, and of course the shutdown player development, I showed me this fall. He's a different player than he was at the end of last year. Uh, so I think that name you're going to, you're going to hear from us as well. Ronnie, the first baseman who came back, uh, this is the year really his fourth year playing, if you really want to look at it, but his fifth year, college for two years. You know, I've always said about junior college players, it's one year to figure it out and one good year. So the big jump from junior college to Division One, just the level of pitching from a position player standpoint. And I, he led our team last year in RBIs and, and uh, uh, for I think he's going to, that's going to be in the middle of what we did. Um, no question about it. Um, so uh, we had a freshman last year that was a played in the national high school all star game. George Clausen, right handed pitcher, a tremendous arm, and uh, he had to have Tommy John surgery. Hurt himself last February, and he'll be back. And he's a tremendous talent. Uh, so that'll be impactful for us. Um, Chase Bank, he's a senior, played. So um, I think you'll you'll hear some things from him. And Brett Bateman was a freshman last year, and we. He played well, but he had to have some surgery this summer, so he's on the shelf. But he's he's a special February, and I think that's another name you'll you'll, you'll hear some things from. So, um, but on the mound, I think we're going to have more depth. Than we've had uh, we've got um, five pitchers that are transfers that are older that joined our program that have experienced and had Division One success. It's very obvious watching them pitch last night. The difference between them and a the freshman. Um, so I, 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 I do think there's going to be, uh, we're going to have some options on the mound. Uh, it appears to me healthy and we're going to be deeper and more talented. Have been 
since 18. Well, to, f- to finish this up, I'd like to uh, say uh, a few names and have you give a one-word or a couple-of-word answer for each name, if you don't okay. mind. Dick Siebert. Sorry. I'm sorry. What was <laughs> We're losing you. What did you say, JV? Dick Siebert? Yeah, Dick Siebert. Legendary. Okay. Um, Paul Gill. Probably one of the greatest athletes in our state's history, um, you know. Um, played in, in my opinion, he's the athletic director. And when you look back, I've been through 14 athletic directors. Mm -hmm. He looks pretty good to me right now. Right. (laughs) Me too. Um, Dick Matson. Dick Matson. Um, boy, that's a, there's a lot of things I could throw in there. Um, inspiring positive way. Uh, Jim Marshall. Uh, uh, deep, uh, a rich part of the fabric in the department. Probably most people. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was loyal. He, uh, cared about the kids, the athletic track. Uh, I think his, his reach and uh, the impact he had, uh, is known, but I think he's in, woven into our fabric for me anyway, in a pretty strong way, because as you know, the trainers and the equipment guys have a lot of contact with the kids and they can have an impact both positively and negatively but he had a I, I think he had a tremendous impact on on uh, the kids that came came through the sports programs that had contact with marsh and last but not least rob fornasier rob fornasier uh exceptional uh baseball iq uh teacher and uh, uh, coach well i've taken up more time than i <laughs> that i asked you for i appreciate talking to you i gotta get my butt out to a uh baseball game this year or two and see the team and reconnect with some people like Billy and the and the yeah, uh, Gall brothers. I, I, October, uh, Friday, was it October 1st, I think it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alumni game. Okay. And uh, Siebert Field at uh, 6.30, I think it uh, the former player that uh, working in the equipment room at the university that will be coming back. So it'll be a big alumni evening. If you get a chance, come on by and say hello. Yeah, that I probably will have nothing else to do because my baseball season is wrapping up this um, this weekend. So and um, I don't know, John. I'm 59 and I'm trying to figure will this be the last year? 60 <laughs> when I turn 60, make that the last season. But uh, I enjoy the game. I enjoy being around you and Rob and uh, others and uh, learning more about the game. And uh, I enjoyed our relationship over the years, and I really appreciate having you on today. Thank you, JB. Uh, again, I've enjoyed our friendship and relationship and all your help and support. So glad you're playing the great game of baseball and enjoying it. So. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, that's John Anderson, better known to all his players and coaches as 14. And fans, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django. JB. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. JB. Our great Negro sex machine.